In just a moment, I'm going to read from John's Gospel, chapter 13, the first 20 verses. If you have your Bible, you may want to open it. will be on the screen. I'm going to be occasionally referring to some verses. Uh, we are spending our time sort of drilling down in John's rich Gospel account of the last few days and hours of Jesus' life before crucifixion. Uh, that's our Lenten theme, following Jesus, but particularly following him uh, from the raising of Lazarus uh, on through uh, the being anointed with oil and his agonizing message of honesty about his pain uh, as he shared with his disciples. And then this morning, uh, Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And so I hope that you're making some connections. And if you haven't, uh, that you'll go back and listen to uh, the sermons online or read the manuscripts of them. And it, it always helps to see how it all fits together in a context. John's gospel is masterful in painting some unbelievable pictures. Now, before we read scripture, I'd like for us to bow our heads. To be in silence in God's presence, one of the ancient prophets simply declared, God is in his, to in his holy temple... Let all the earth be silent before him. In the silence, gracious God and creator, our redeemer and Lord, we hear you speak. We thank you for your continuous faithful revelation through the beauty of creation, through the lives of love around us, and through your holy scripture through your convicting and drawing and comforting Holy Spirit. And we ask today that you help us to experience your forgiveness and grace for all of the ways that we have failed at attempts of servanthood, for our selfishness that is always gathering life around ourselves, our own convenience, our own schedules. We pray for cleansing and a refreshing of your Holy Spirit that we might walk with you in faithfulness, that our walk with you would not be made up of cramming our heads full of facts and knowledge, but it might be a matter of our hearts being set on fire, that our behavior might be motivated by faith as we share Christ and live Christ. We pray today for those in our congregation who are hurting, those who are grieving the death of loved ones, those who are struggling with health issues, financial issues, family strife, job-related heartaches, for those who are here today with doubts and fears, for those who are here today empty and so hungry to know a personal relationship with Christ. We pray for our larger world and for those communities around us devastated by flooding, for farmers who are having to start over again because of uh, the devastation of, of the waters so high, and for those who are dealing with other disasters, the hurricanes and cyclones and, and tornadoes and, and so many crises. We pray for war-torn regions that there might be peace. We pray for the homeless. We pray for justice in a world that seems aflame with, with all the things that would garner the selfishness and the greed of human lives. We ask God that you liberate us as we worship, that we might hear your voice, 
might worship in faithfulness. Gather us together around your word. That the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts might be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. John's Gospel, chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Would you stand, please, as God's word comes among us. Now, before the festival of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray him. And during supper, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, got up from the table, took off his outer robe, and tied a towel around himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered, You do not know now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Peter said to him, You will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, One who is bathed does not need to wash except for the feet but is entirely clean, and you are clean, though not all of you. For he knew who was to betray him. For this reason he said, not all of you are clean. After he had washed their feet and had put on his robe and returned to the table, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet... You also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have set you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Very truly I tell you, servants are not greater than their master, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but it is to fulfill the scripture. The one who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I tell you this now, before it occurs, so that when it does occur, you may believe that I am he. Very truly, I tell you, whoever receives one of whom I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Ancient Palestine was and still is, very dry, very dusty, and very hot. And in the first century of Jesus' time, not many people had any kind of footwear. And if the well-off had footwear, it was a very primitive kind of sandal. Most people walked barefooted. And in that hot sun, with the sharp rocks, their feet became caked with grime and sweat and dirt, and blood from the cuts and the abrasions. So most homes, if they could afford it, had at their entryway a basin and a towel. And it was the job 
of the lowest person in social class in that household to wash the feet of the guests as an act of hospitality before the meal. Uh, The person of the lowest social station got the job but it, because it was considered to be the grimiest, the most unpleasant, the most nasty job of all. And we sort of get the picture in this uh, 13th chapter of John's Gospel that before the meal, the disciples were kind of standing around hum-hawing and looking at each other and trying not to make eye contact with certain ones and sort of just waiting. And Jesus kept waiting, and finally Jesus realized none of the disciples was willing to take the the low position and to be the servant. And so Jesus simply gathered up uh, a towel, shed some of his outer garments, took the water, started washing the disciples' feet. Here he is, the King of glory, the Lord of lords from eternity, He's come to earth as a human, and he does the lowest, nastiest slave job there is to do. Now, we've heard this story so often. We talk about servanthood and humility so much in our 21st century Western culture. We have forgotten the countercultural dimension of this passage of Scripture. We don't we don't get jolted by the countercultural wave that this scripture and this story is in first century Palestine because whether we know it or not, in first century Greco-Roman culture, humility was not a virtue. In the Greco-Roman culture of Jesus' day, humility was seen as a weakness. It was seen as a character flaw. People who were humble, people who did acts of service, were simply showing their weakness and demonstrating what fools they were. And so Jesus doing this act is itself a powerful message, going against the grain of prevailing culture and time. I heard a lecture recently, uh, and the man was, after the lecture, answering questions, and He made this comment almost in an offhanded way, but I wrote it down because it was so powerful. He was talking about the great divisions in our country between races and between classes of people and the great divisions that we experience politically. And he said that he thought at the heart of the vitriol and the hateful speech and the hateful actions in our culture, there is this sad need for us to always have somebody lower than ourselves in order to feel good about ourselves. Somebody lower than us so that we're always feeling better about ourselves. Well, at least I'm not like whatever. But what if we're the lowest? What if we all take the position that is the lowest? And if we all do that, then there is no hierarchy. And the hate and the vitriol disappears because we're not pushing off against others to find our worth. 
Several years ago, at a gathering of the Association of Baptist Churches in our area, uh, I was given this towel that simply says, Servant. And I keep this towel in my office here at the church as a sort of reminder of what Jesus was trying to teach us when he talked to us about servanthood and when he demonstrated servanthood and he took that towel and he took that wash basin and he washed disciples' feet. heard the story about a missionary who uh, came back from India and he told about the uh, mission center there and the, the converts that they'd been winning to Christ and they made it a discipline, a practice that everybody in the mission center, missionary staff and converts to Christ would take a turn cleaning the toilets. Now, this was not your modern day flush toilets, but this is a G-rated sermon, so I will spare you more of the details. And one day, it was a particular, uh, it was the turn of a, a Brahmin convert to Christ. He'd come from the upper caste in India, and he'd been one to Christ, and it was her, his turn to clean the toilets. And uh, the mission leader noticed that uh, Brother C was sort of uh, putting it off and doing everything else first. And he said, uh, Brother C, uh, it's your turn to clean the latrine, and you haven't done it yet. And finally, the Brahmin convert blurted out, I have to just tell you, I've been converted, but I haven't been converted that far. (laughs) There are a lot of us who've been converted to Christ, but we haven't been converted that far. Somehow, we have romanticized what it means to follow Jesus. Somehow, we have spiritualized what it means to follow Jesus, and we've made it completely otherworldly. But following Jesus is not about an emotion or a romantic trip down a beautiful lane. It is about the grit and the grime and the stuff of daily chores. It's about the little things, and sometimes the unpleasant things, and sometimes the mundane and the boring things. Following Jesus is about real-life stuff and doing servant chores. Now, there's a second part to this that we often don't get to. Uh, If you know very much about the Gospels, you know that when Jesus finally came to the feet of Simon Peter, there was going to be an event. Simon Peter always has something to say. In fact, Simon Peter always talks until he thinks of something to say. And Simon Peter... When he sees Jesus at his feet, he said, what are you doing? Jesus said, well, you're going to understand this all later. And Simon Peter says, you're not washing my feet. And have you noticed? 
as a follower of Jesus, it's a lot easier to do for others than to let others do for us. What, what's that about? Our pride that allows us to keep our ego intact? We still feel in control? We'd much rather be doing for others because that puts us in the superior position. You know, those of us here today, you know, we're, we're successful in our careers. We, we have important jobs. We, we have a track record of Christian service. We know the Bible. We, we, we don't need people to do for us. We want to be in the driver's seat, right? William Temple, a British pastor and bishop who gave almost all of his public ministry to probing the depths of the Gospel of John, says about this passage of Scripture that servanthood does not begin with, let me say it this way, humility does not begin with giving service. Humility begins by the capacity to receive service. Because as long as we're always giving service, Temple said, there is much pride and much condescension, condescending from that position of superiority. And Jesus just tells Simon Peter flat out in verse 9, I'm sorry, verse 8, he says, if you don't let me wash you, you have no share with me. You have no portion with me. And the word for portion or share is the same Greek word that is used in Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son, where the prodigal son gets fed up with his dad's rules and regulations, and he says, Father, give me my share that comes to me. Give me my portion. Give me my inheritance. I want cash, and I'm out of here. So Jesus says to Simon Peter, unless you let me wash you, you, have, you share no inheritance with me. You share none of my blessing and relationship and fullness and, and riches. And then Simon Peter does the opposite. Okay, then just give me a whole bath. Simon Peter, all or nothing, right? He's always all or nothing. Nothing ever in between. And so he says, you know, Lord, just go ahead. I see what you're saying now. Just bathe all of me. And Jesus said, no, no, no. It doesn't work that way. You have a bath at the beginning of the day or beginning of the week or whatever. And then all you need to do is just wash up when your feet get dirty. See, John loves double meanings. I mentioned this last week. John loves layered meanings. And he's talking here about our salvation experience and walk in following Jesus. And what Simon Peter displays are the two extremes of our doubts. In the first instance, Simon Peter is like those who are here this morning who say, I don't need Jesus Christ in my life. I don't need him to wash me. I'm not dirty. I don't need other people's help. I'm self-sufficient. I can manage by myself. The pride that keeps us from repenting the pride that keeps us from acknowledging our sin, our dirtiness, our need for the cleansing of Jesus Christ. That's Simon Peter, first of all, displaying that, that kind of doubt. And then 
he goes to the opposite extreme. That's the opposite extreme of people who think they need to get saved every week. You know, I doubt my salvation experience. I doubt the work of grace that Jesus did in my heart. I'm, I'm unwilling to trust that God could really forgive all my sins, so I just feel like I need to be converted every Sunday or every, every spring or every fall. No, Jesus said, if you've experienced my grace and forgiveness, you don't need a whole bath again. You're already a follower of mine, but you need to stay fresh. You need to stay up to date. You need to confess daily sins. You need to pray. You need to be in an updated relationship with me, and you need to wash up regularly. What a beautiful picture of our two forms of doubt and pride that keep us from experiencing following Jesus. And speaking of John's love of double meanings and layered meanings, the theme of water. In John 4, Jesus says to the woman, I'm the water of life. In John 7, Jesus says to his followers, if you believe on me, there will be gushing out of you an artesian well of water that flows to everlasting life. He loved the theme of water. Water. What a beautiful image. Water. It releases impurities from our skin. It separates us from that which defiles and is dirty. It cleanses the old away. But it also refreshes. Water opens our pores so that we feel refreshed and we see life new. We see life differently. A shower after working in the hayfield a shower after working outside in the yard or after a run. There's just nothing like water running over your body. There's something powerful about this image of washing and the washing of the feet so soothing and so healing and such an act of humility. This is Jesus Christ's cleansing that we all need. And so John has given us this picture of Jesus who breaks the cycle of selfishness by serving. He breaks the cycle of violence by forgiving those who murder him, even before they do it. He breaks the cycle of hate by loving. And he breaks the cycle of death by giving his life. This summer I was at Baptist World Alliance in Zurich, Switzerland. Heard a wonderful devotional on this passage of scripture from pastor, uh, former president of Baptist World Alliance, David Coffey, a British pastor. And he quoted a Methodist pastor from uh, England, A.E. Witham. A.E. Witham uh, told once of having a dream. He said, I had a dream that I was uh, taken on a tour of the Museum of Heaven, all the artifacts from the Bible, were shown to me. He said, uh, the guide took me around and I saw the widow's mite, the, the money the woman had given, her very last. I saw swaddling clothes that had been worn by a baby. I saw a hammer and three nails. I saw a sponge that had once been soaked in vinegar. He said, then I whispered to the guide, where's the towel and the wash basin? And the guide said, it's not here yet. They're still using it on earth. 
right? We're still using it. I hope we're still using it. Let's pray. As we trust the Lord to do a fresh work in each of us, we simply ask you to respond as God might be tugging at your heart uh, to give up that pride and say, yes, I need to be washed. I need Jesus Christ to cleanse me, to forgive me. Or if you're already a follower, just to say, you know, I need that update. I need that, I need that refreshing splash. I need that renewal. Or maybe some other kind of decision, church membership, uh, come to pray about a, a specific need. During this time of, of response, the altar call is simply, as God might be speaking to you to come and pray with one of us or pray by yourself at the altar or right where you stand to open your heart to the fresh work of grace to receive and then to serve. Lord God, seal in our hearts the new work that you're doing in us and with us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.